Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This episode for the Business Week ended 14th July 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time we look at Lakembi's US treatment infrastructure, Novartis backing out of a Beijing deal, the plans of Transgene's new CEO, Japanese firms R&D success, and a look at deal making in the first half. Azai and its partner Biogen have crossed over the biggest barrier in their quest to commercialize Lakembi now that Medicare in the US will cover the cost of the Alzheimer's disease drug. The next hurdles for doctors and patients will be obtaining blood tests and PET scans for confirming amyloid pathology in the brain, genetic testing to assess APOE4 status, MRIs to monitor for amyloid-related imaging abnormalities, or ARIA, and infusion centers to administer the medicine. Facilities that exist, but not in the numbers and locations needed to serve all of the US patients eligible for treatment. Mandy Jackson writes that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said that it will cover the cost of Lakembi on 6th July, the day that the US FDA converted the amyloid protofibril targeting antibodies accelerated approval for the treatment of mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia associated with Alzheimer's into full approval. Azai and others believe that while uptake of Lakembi will be slow as the healthcare system catches up with the diagnostic, monitoring and infusion requirements associated with the therapy, Medicare coverage gives providers the confidence they need to offer those services. The next challenge is setting up these sort of memory centres or neurology infusion centres to create access. Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation co-founder and Chief Science Officer Howard Fillett said in an interview with Scrip. The payment mechanism is in place. That will create the financial incentives for medical centres to establish memory care infusion centres. Once infusion centres for administration of Lakembi are in place, Fillett said, much like in cancer, these large cancer infusion centres, I think we're going to see an expansion and very robust development of neurology infusion centres. Some of them exist for things like multiple sclerosis. So I think when infusion centres are established and people are getting paid for that, there will be access to these drugs. The Lakembi label and Medicare require that only patients with confirmed presence of amyloid plaques in their brains are treated with the drug, which means that amyloid PET scans or cerebrospinal fluid testing is needed prior to prescribing the medicine. Blood tests are emerging that can predict amyloid presence that may help doctors determine when to pursue PET scans or CSF testing and the can be treatment for dementia patients. MRI monitoring for ARIA is required at baseline and before the 5th, 7th and 14th infusions of the Kembi, which is administered by IV every two weeks. In addition, the drug's updated label recommends genetic testing for APOE4 status because severe ARIA occurred more frequently in the Phase 3 Clarity AD trial of Lakembi in patients who are homozygotes with more than one allele of the APOE4 gene. In terms of the overall patient journey, this is not something that gets sorted out in a few months. Alexander Scott, who's Executive Vice President of Integrity for Azi in the US, said in an interview with Scrip. We've been pretty direct in telling people we expect to have sort of in the neighbourhood of 10,000 patients on therapy at the end of our fiscal year. We expect in three years to have 100,000 patients on therapy, 
These are the kinds of numbers that we believe are reasonable and appropriate based upon our assessment of system readiness and we stand by those early projections. Novartis has decided not to move forward with a partnership on Beijing's digit inhibitor, Ocipurlimab, in development for solid tumours. The announcement followed disappointing results for the novel checkpoint inhibitor class from multiple drug makers. Jessica Mel writes that Beijing disclosed the update on 11th July, a day after the Swiss pharma company informed it of the decision to terminate the option agreement. Novartis had an option to license, develop and commercialise Ocipurlimab in North America, Europe and certain other geographies under a 2021 collaboration, and Beijing now regains full rights to the drug. Novartis said the decision was based on several factors. We assessed the totality of the current information, including Phase 2 data, benefit risk, competitive space, timing, development programmes and future investments to make this decision, the company said in a statement. Novartis paid Beijing $300 million up front for the option rights in 2021, but would have had to pay the company $600 to $700 million to exercise the option, depending on the timing. Considered a promising immune checkpoint target, the digit area has faced repeated setbacks. Roche reported disappointing Phase 3 results for its contender Tyragolimab in combination with Decentric last year in non-small cell lung cancer, after another Phase 3 trial in small cell lung cancer had failed. While the progression-free survival endpoint did not meet the mark, Roche is still hopeful the overall survival data will be positive. Merkinko's Vibostolimab also missed a Phase 2 PFS endpoint in metastatic NSCLC in combination with Keytruda earlier this year. Beijing said it will continue enrolment in a Phase 3 trial of Ociperlimab in combination with the anti-PD-1 antibody Tislelizumab, also partnered with Novartis in some countries, for the first-line treatment of patients with locally advanced and resectable or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer whose tumours exhibit high PD-L1 expression and do not harbour EGFR sensitising mutations or ALK translocations. French biotech company Transgene has endured multiple setbacks over the last 15 years as it tries to develop cancer vaccines to stimulate an immune response to tumours. But its new CEO, Alessandro Riva, believes he can finally steer it to its first R&D success. The Strasbourg-headquartered firm is majority-owned by the family-run Institut Merieux. Andrew McConney writes the company is developing two separate cancer vaccine platforms, the first using oncolytic viruses to enter tumour cells and destroy them from within, while the second consists of therapeutic vaccines which target surface antigens to nudge the body's immune system into identifying and killing the cancer cells. This latter category includes TG4050, a personalised vaccine targeting neoantigens. However, confidence in Transgene's platform is much lower and the firm was dealt a hit in May to its OV platform when AstraZeneca opted to walk away from an alliance. The blow convinced Transgene's main shareholders that a fresh approach was needed and recognising the need for a leader with experience in biopharma R&D and deal-making called on Riva who was already the company's chairman, to become CEO in place of Hedy Ben Brahim. Riva was an oncology R&D leader at Novartis before moving on to Gilead in 2017, 
where he oversaw the launch of its CAR-T drug Yescarta, following that up with CEO roles at Glenmark spin-off Ignos Sciences and Intima Bioscience. But turning around Transgene may well be Reva's biggest challenge yet. Not only must he bring a first drug development success, but he also urgently needs to address the company's fast-dwindling cash reserve. Transgene is critically low on funds, having just 17 million euros in cash and cash equivalents as of 31st March, which are expected to last it only until early 2024. But Reva believes he can help turn around the company's fortunes. I'm here to bring the company to the next level. For me, it's about the science, he said. One of the company's lead oncolytic virus-based candidates is TG6050, currently in phase one in metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. It selectively replicates within tumour cells and once there, genes encoded into its DNA see it produce interleukin-12 and an anti-CTLA4 antibody. Meanwhile, TD4050 is the first MIVAC candidate and is in phase 1 trials as an adjuvant treatment for ovarian cancer and head and neck cancer. Reva indicated that new financing was a priority for Transgene in order to fuel its R&D ambitions and this includes seeking out new US-based groups to broaden its investor syndicate. However, the company will have to demonstrate further encouraging clinical trial progress to attract new funds. Top 11 Japanese pharmaceutical firms have relatively higher R&D success rates in the US market in the areas of oncology and central nervous system, a new report from Cytline's Biomed Tracker finds. Lisa Takagi writes that the research tracked past records for phase one to three trials, revealing several major companies from Japan achieved higher than average likelihood of approval rates from phase one across oncology, CNS and rare diseases. The report investigated both LOA and the probability of success at each phase of clinical development for 11 firms including Takeda, Astellas and Daiichi Sankyo. The benchmark LOA value determined from all firms in the US market from the phase 1 stage was 8.6%. However, the average LOA for the 11 Japanese firms was lower at 7.6% and also well below the average of 9.3% for the global top 15 firms including Pfizer, Roche and Novo Nordisk. However, in oncology, the 11 Japanese firms had an LOA of 6.3%, above the average benchmark of 5.7%, with a particularly high rate for Daiichi Sankyo of 12.8%. In CNS, the broader average was 2.1%, but for the surveyed Japanese companies, the figure was 8.6%. It was especially high for Azai at 20.5%. The two categories of oncology and CNS typically have lower LOAs and POSs compared to all indications. Ziar Saeed, who's the author of the report and a senior analyst for Biomed Tracker, told Scrip, noting that pharma firms outside the US have had a more difficult time attaining approvals for their US-based developments. He added this may have been due to different patient populations being treated in comparison to what is required for a US approval. I wanted to see if this was still the case, even within the larger companies in an established country like Japan. It was another surprising discovery for the author that the LOA in rare diseases for the Japanese firms at 10.7% was higher than that for non-rare diseases, 6.6%. This may be due to the fact that in Asia, Japan, South Korea and Taiwan, 
there are established systematic economic and regulatory incentives to encourage R&D of drugs for rare diseases, Said observed. As for the potential key factors behind the relatively higher LOAs in oncology and CNS at the Japanese firms, Said pointed out that Takeda, Eizai and Notsuka tended to have a high number of alliance deals with Western countries compared to the rest, specifically Eizai and Takeda. Notable examples include Eizai and Merkinko for oncology drug Lemvima and Daiichi Sankyo and AstraZeneca for the global development and commercialization of antibody drug conduits. Finally, biopharmaceutical M&A activity started with a bang in 2023, as Pfizer's 13th March acquisition of CGen for $43 billion was the sector's largest buyout since a pair of mega-mergers, BMS and Celgene, and AbbVie and Algan, in 2019. That deal, combined with Merck Co.'s $10.8 billion deal for Prometheus Biosciences on 16th April, and on the heels of Amgen's $27.8 billion acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics, announced in December 2022, raised hopes that the industry might see more major transactions. But a look at deal statistics for the first half of this year shows that Big Pharma, by and large, remains committed to smaller acquisitions. Joseph Haas writes in an infographic article that the cluster of mega-deals drove up aggregate spending on biopharma M&A which more than doubled the total spend in the first half of 2023 compared to the first two quarters of 2022. Average M&A size also doubled from the previous year as well, but the increase was largely driven by Pfizer's CGen acquisition. Excluding that, average M&A value falls from $2.26 billion to $881 million, a decline from the first half of 2022. Overall, a continued emphasis on smaller bolt-on deals remains in place from previous years as companies look to build on their existing strengths in therapeutic areas and or treatment modalities while avoiding large deals that are harder to integrate. In the first half of 2023, total deals declined by more than 25%, but aggregate potential value is nearly level with that recorded in the first half of 2022, as is the number of alliances with a potential of $1 billion or more. The next six months will test how biopharma prevails in the challenging economic climate. Check out the infographic for all of the details. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for joining us. All the articles mentioned here are linked in the description below and form just a small part of Scripps coverage last week. Log in to access all of our content or take out a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.